Today I want to really finish what I started last Sunday, and I shared this Wednesday night on our Zoom. I know that not all of you were there. I've actually added some to this, but this will be a continuation of last Sunday. I don't normally do that. My messages are normally contained in one. Um, we are in this study on Christology. What, what is that? Christology, Pastor. What does that mean? That's the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me that there's nothing greater that we can study? For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And God sent his son 2,000 years ago to be our redeemer. And how many of you know he's coming back again? So what I want to do this morning is, is I want to share, uh, and as I've said, for those that joined us online, there'll be a little, some things that I've added in here that I hope will keep your interest. But somebody suggested, they said, Pastor, others that were not on the Zoom need to hear this. And I would agree with that. I really would agree with that. So what I want to share with you this morning are, are eight biblical reasons for affirming that Jesus is the Christ. Actually, I want to give uh, eight reasons and five applications. You said that's a lot. Well, it'll be pretty quick, part of this. Of course, we know that Christ means Messiah. It means the anointed one. And uh, I won't stop here, but I'll just say this. Jesus fulfills all of those Old Testament prophecies, and we're so grateful for that. And you'll remember that when the apostle Paul, Saul, was turned into Paul, the Lord brought him in and made him his great apostle. What is the first thing he did? The first thing it says in Acts 9 and 20, immediately he preached the Christ, the Messiah in the synagogue, that he was the Son of God. So the question is this, how would the Jews know when Messiah came? What would identify Messiah? They're looking for him when, when Jesus came, the messianic expectation was at fever pitch in every way. You can study, you can look at the, the times and the spiritual climate, and there it was fever pitch. What would Messiah do? What would Messiah say? What are the eight affirmations? I'm going to give you these quick and then five applications. Number one is his birth in Bethlehem. Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Now we know there was another famous person born in Bethlehem. Do you remember his name? He was a great king of the Old Testament. What's his name? King David. The great King David also born in Bethlehem. David would have played on those hills around Bethlehem. He would have tended the sheep around Bethlehem. And then many decades later, many, many decades later, the very son of the living God would be born in the town called Bethlehem. Some 700 years plus, really, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And by the way, how would the Lord get him to Bethlehem? He was raised in Nazareth. But how many know the word of God? We've sang it today. The word of God will never fail. The word, you can stand on the promises of the Lord. And there was a prophet called Micah. And about 700 years before, he was very specific. Because there was another Ephrathah up in Galilee. But he was very specific in Micah two, five, uh, 5 and 2. He says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah. Very specific. 
Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are of old from everlasting. He would be the eternal son of God. Eternal God would one day be born in a place called Bethlehem, Ephrathah. We fast forward from Micah's utterance by the Spirit of the Lord. And now, God has turned the world. He's moved the world with his word. And, and the Lord moved a king to say, all the world needs to be taxed and registered. Mary and Joseph, now Mary is nine months pregnant, about. And she's in Nazareth. And I'm sure she had her plans. But see, like we have our plans. How many know our hands, are, our, our lives are in God's hands, under His sovereign hand? One of, the, one of the doctrines we don't preach enough is the sovereignty of God. Don't you know that Mary was like every young Jewish girl? She was making plans. She was going to have her child here. All of these things that she had planned. And then all of a sudden, her world was turned upside down. The whole world was turned upside down because of the king. And people were saying, why is the king doing this? Why is the king doing that? How inconvenient is this? There was one reason. The whole world was on the move. But there was one Jewish couple. That had to get from Nazareth, about 90 miles or so, to Bethlehem. Now, we, we, we've seen, we've heard that she went in wagons and this and that. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? No. I said one, Christ, one Christmas a couple of years ago or a year or so ago, I had all the kids up here. And, I, and I, for dummy me, I said, I said, doesn't say that Mary rode her in a donkey. It doesn't say she was in a wagon. I said, the Bible doesn't say that. One of the little kids goes, what? <laughs> what? But then all of a sudden, not only that, wise men come. And these wise men must have been influential. Because the whole city was in an uproar. And here's what it says. And when he had gathered the chief priests, this is the king, together with the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ would be born. So they said, so the religious leaders, those, who, those scribes who knew the Torah, knew the law of God, in Bethlehem of Judea, thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are you not least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you shall come a ruler who will be who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew where Messiah would be born. One, one, of, the, one of the eight messianic affirmations is that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Second affirmation is this. It's found by the gospel prophet his name is Isaiah. Isaiah is called the gospel prophet of the Old Testament. And the second affirmation is Messiah will have a supernatural anointing upon him. The supernatural presence of God will rest upon him like no one ever, like the Holy Spirit never rested on anyone. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. 
Now, we've all sensed the anointing. I've sensed God's presence today. That's what the anointing is. It's the, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We know Isaiah was anointed. We know that Elijah and Elisha were anointed. We know there's other great men of God were anointed. But no one was ever anointed by, like Messiah. And I'll show you that in a moment. But there will be a supernatural anointing. This would be one of the affirmations. Not only the city, the exact place in which he was born. But the Holy Spirit would rest upon him. Isaiah said this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of its roots. Notice, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And now we fast forward from the utterance of Isaiah. And here is Jesus. He's about 30 years of age. He's standing with all the multitudes. He's standing on the edge of the Jordan River. That Jordan River that comes from the snows of Mount Hermon flows down from northern Israel. It forms the Jordan River. Because of irrigation and all of this, it's different. It's different than it was in that day, unhindered in its flow. We know that in Jeremiah, or Joshua's time, in flood time, it would flood out to a mile. But because of the irrigation and all the things that they've done, it's different today. But there Jesus is standing with all of the multitudes who've come to hear John the Baptist. They hear him preaching his baptism of repentance. And here Jesus is standing there. And he says, John... I want to be baptized. And John, recognizing there's something special about this man. Even though he was his cousin, there was something special. And he said, no, no, no. He said, for, he forbid him. He said, no, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus said, let it be so for now to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus goes down in those chilly waters of Jordan. And we, those of you that have been baptized like myself in the Jordan River, it is very cold. We were there in February one year, and it was really cold. And Jesus goes down into the waters of Jordan, baptized, identifying with all the sinners, yet he had no sin. He's not identifying. He doesn't need to be baptized in water. We need water baptism. We need the cleansing that it represents. And all of a sudden, we read in Luke, and when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, while he was praying, here's Jesus praying. You take the prayer life out of Jesus and the gospel, you don't have a lot. I want to be like Jesus. Go home and get in your prayer closet. You'll be like him. Come on Tuesday morning and pray. You'll be like him. Come Thursday evening. By the way, we have Tuesday and I'm sorry, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning and 6.30 in the evening, we'll be leading prayer. JR is going to help me on one of those. JR is going to help me on one of those. JR will be helping me on one of those. All right? The evening one, you'll help me? Okay, see, I told you. Amen. And, uh, but notice this. While he was praying, the heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. 
And the voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. John said it this way in his writing. For in whom God sent speaks the words of God. Notice, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. There is no measure of the Spirit. We may get an anointing here, an anointing there. We may get a little cup here and a little touch there. But Jesus is the anointed one. The Holy Spirit on him was without measure. Can you imagine just even getting in proximity of his earthly body, you could sense the glory of God radiating from him. In fact, in Luke 5, it says the, 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 the Spirit of God, the presence of the Lord was there to heal. And then it says he touched someone. And it says virtue went out of him. God in the flesh. The anointed one. In Acts we read these words. I'm sorry. Acts 2.22. Men of Israel. This is a sermon the apostles preach. Men of Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested by God. By miracles. Wonders. And signs. Which God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know. It says in Acts. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with, with, was with him. What was one of the affirmation? His anointing. Supernatural. Nicodemus, a learned leader, a learned teacher in Israel. In fact, uh, the, the definite article, if you read it, the teacher. Are you not the teacher of Israel? This is the teacher of Israel. This is the teacher of the teachers in Israel. But so amazed and so astounded at Christ. He says these words. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that's teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God. How did he know? What was one of the affirmations? Read it. Here's what Nicodemus says. For no one can do the signs, that's the miracles that you do unless God is with him. The third affirmation of his messianic deity and who the Christ is, that Christ, Messiah, would proclaim the year of Jubilee. Isaiah, once again, we go back and forth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. We fast forward 700 years. We enter the synagogue in Nazareth. And there's Jesus. And they bring him the scroll. This scroll right here. Isaiah's scroll. And they brought it to him. He's about 30 years of age. It says in Luke 4. And he was handed the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book. The scroll that is. He found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Notice, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Notice that he did not include the day of the vengeance of our God. That would be later. He would set his judge later. But now he said, I've not come to condemn. I've come to save. We're in the age of salvation. We're in the age of God's mercy. Get in. Get in now. He says, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of all were on, uh, of all were, who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, notice, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What Isaiah spoke about, what he said would happen 2,000 years ago, this is it. I am Messiah. Messiah would proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now we know that the acceptable year of the Lord is called the year of Jubilee. It happened every 50th year. Oh, how I wish this would happen in America. You that have a lot of credit card debt, you wish it would happen too. Every 50th year, what would happen in Israel? All debts were forgiven. So I guess you borrow some money on the 49th year. No, they wouldn't. All debts were forgiven. Slaves were given their freedom. Ancestral lands were given back to the original family. The year of Jubilee was a fresh start. Did you hear what I said? The year of Jubilee is a fresh start. You know what Jesus is? He proclaims jubilee because he is our jubilee. Jesus gives a fresh start. The old is past, sins are gone, and we get a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And guess what? There's a brand new kingdom coming down. There's a new Jerusalem coming down. There's a new heaven and earth coming down. Why? Because Jesus is our year of jubilee where all debts are canceled. Come on, all our debts are canceled, and we get a brand new start in Jesus. There's a new beginning in Jesus. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation. The fourth affirmation is Messiah would heal the sick. His healing ministry. There is a prophecy in the Old Testament. There again, we're talking about the coming one and we're showing where he came. Jesus is the Christ. Isaiah said this, Surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now we know, we know this is not just spiritual healing. We know that because it's, it's fulfillment we find or it's commentary, I should say, we find in Matthew chapter 8. Isaiah said this in another place. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb will sing. The waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I love that. I think I preached a sermon on streams in the desert one time. I think it was good. I need to pull those notes back out. Streams in the desert. That's just a great title, right? Streams in the desert. Now Jesus is in Galilee. 
700 years from those utterances. Here's what it says in Matthew 8, 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. He healed all who were sick. Notice that it might be fulfilled. We let the Bible interpret the Bible. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. This was a messianic affirmation that when Messiah come, not only would we know where he was born, exact place he was born, but we would also know about his anointing and about his healing ministry would affirm that Jesus is the Christ. Now John's in prison. John's in prison for the truth. John, I speak of John the Baptist, the different John than the Bible. John Mark, John the disciple, not those, John the Baptist. Mother Elizabeth, Father Zechariah. Very rugged man. He was an Elijah-like prophet. He came in the spirit in the power of Elijah. He had Elijah-type ministry. He was calling Israel to repentance. He was getting them ready. He was the voice in the wilderness, Isaiah said. And apparently, I believe a person like John would be in prison today, eventually, even in our own nation, because John believed in marriage. And he rebuked Herod, Philip. Herod, Philip. There was different Herods that had different parts of rulership in Israel. And he told him, he said, you have your brother's wife. His sister-in-law left his brother and married him. He said, it's not right, it's not lawful. And he brought conviction to him. And because of that, he was put in prison. Righteousness. I don't know what happened in prison but I know that uh, some say that he had doubts. I don't know that he had doubts. He just needed affirmation. So John sends two of his disciples. And he says, go to Jesus and ask him, are you the coming one? That, that's the term of Messiah. Are you the coming one or should we expect another? Notice, notice the proof. Notice the affirmation that Jesus says to take back. We, we pick it up in Luke 7. It says, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Notice, in that very hour, Jesus cured many of infirmities. Afflictions and evil spirits. And to many blind, many, many blind, he gave sight. Then he said, and Jesus answered and said to them, 
Go and tell John these things that you have seen and that you heard. Notice the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What was it? The supernatural acts of God, supernatural healings were an affirmation that Jesus that we serve is the Christ. And then the fifth one is his prophetic role, his prophetic ministry. Jesus, when Messiah came, he will fulfill a prophetic role. Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up a prophet to you, a prophet like me in your midst. You shall hear him. In another place in Deuteronomy, and I will raise up for you a prophet like me among your brethren. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them. All that I command him. Now we fast forward thousands of years. Not just decades. Thousands of years. And Jesus is in a place called Sychar. And he's standing by a well. He's been talking to a woman. And he tells her that not only go get your husband... But he, she said, I don't have a husband. She said, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. Don't tempt Jesus or don't try, you know, don't, don't, don't mess with Jesus. He knows everything about you. Still loves you. And, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What did she say? Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Later on in that chapter, could, could come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? See, they look for one with a prophetic role. When they were trying to arrest Jesus, the chief priest and the leaders, the religious leaders had a hard time doing that because it said they sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitude because they took him as a prophet. Now here's Jesus. He's coming out of the temple. I can only imagine. I've been on the Temple Mount with some of you. Really would like to raise the money and go again. It would be a marvelous to go a third time. But uh, you can kind of picture it in your mind. Jesus is going down those steps that we set upon. And our, our guide said, you see the steps you're sitting on? These are the very steps. These are first century. Jesus very likely walked over these steps. Amazing. Jesus leaves the temple. He's walking away. Matthew says this. Jesus went out and he departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, notice, do you see these things, all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. This had to be incredible. This, this, this word, to, to, to imagine the magnificence of the temple and to say that not one stone would be left upon another, either he's Messiah or he's a lunatic. The, the temple itself, the temple was begun, it was actually an addition to Zerubbabel's, but it was begun about 20 B.C. by Herod the Great. Herod the Great was an incredible architect. 
and builder. It was, it was still under the construction in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it. From 20 BC to 70 AD, 30 years after Jesus had resurrected, they were still working on this temple. At the time of Jesus' ministry, the temple was, was one of the most impressive structures in the world. Made of massive blocks of stone, decked with gold ornamentation. Some of the stones in the temple complex measured 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. And were expertly quarried to fit perfectly with one another. The temple buildings were made of gleaming white marble. And the whole eastern wall of a large main structure was covered with gold plates that reflected the morning sun. Making a, making a spectacle that you could see for miles away. The entire temple mount had been enlarged by Herod's engineers by means of large retaining walls and vaulted chambers on the south side and the southeast corner. By this, by this means, a large courtyard area was atop the temple mount was effectively doubled and the whole temple complex was magnificent by any standard. This chapter says this, and assuredly I say to you that not one stone should be left upon another, but that all will be thrown down. In the chapter before this, in Matthew 23, 38, Jesus said, see, your house is left to you desolate. How will we know who this Messiah is? He will feel, fulfill a very specific prophetic role, the role of the prophet. These words that Jesus spoke that day were literally fulfilled in 70 AD by Titus, the Roman general. History says that he built a large wooden scaffold around the walls of the temple buildings, piled them high with wood and other flammable items, and set them ablaze. The heat of the fire was so intense that the stones crumbled, and the rubble was then sifted and retrieved uh, the melted gold that remained in the ruins that were thrown down in the Kidron Valley. Jesus fulfilled the prophetic role. His suffering, his death, his resurrection. Zechariah talks about his suffering. Luke 24, 1 Peter 1 talks about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that will follow. His suffering. Seven, his fulfilling of prophecy, his virgin birth, Judas' betrayal, riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, the raising on the third day. And then eighthly, the establishment of his kingdom and his kingship. The psalmist said, I have set my king upon my holy hill. I have set my king on his holy hill. Isaiah said the government would rest upon his shoulder. The angel said the Lord would give him the throne of his father David. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and said, I bestow upon you a kingdom. I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed upon me. And you say, one day Jesus is going to reign. No, 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 my friend. Jesus is going to come back and reign. No, my friend, he's reigning right now. 
The visible church is a sign that Jesus is alive. That's why we, we need to meet publicly. We need to meet physical. We are the body of Christ. We need, to, we need to do what Corinthians says. We need to discern the body. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are organically connected with Jesus. He's not going to reign. He's reigning right now. He's reigning at the Father's right hand. Every enemy's being placed under his feet. He's the king of the kings. He's the Lord of the lords. Corinthians says it, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ that is coming. And th- then comes the end, and he delivers the kingdom to, the, to his Father. And when he puts an end to all rule and authority, all authority and the power, verse 25, he must reign, for he must reign, for he must reign till... He has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Listen to me. The most hopeful people on the planet should be the Christians. Listen, every other thing that people put their faith in is going to crumble like fool's gold. But what we are invested in, the kingdom of God is going to last forever and ever. And we're going to live forever with him with eternal life. He's called the son of David, the son of God, the prophet, the king of the Jews. He's the great high priest. How do we respond to him? Five things very quickly, bullet point. Number one, we need to worship him. Paul said we're those who worship. We're we're the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in Messiah, Jesus, Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. We are to worship him. Jesus deserves our worship. Nobody, no one should get our worship but him. He is worthy of our praise. If we hold back, the rocks may cry out. Let the church praise him. Let's be good about praise. Let's be great about worship. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, hallelujah. We should worship him. We should serve him. Paul said, do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I seek to please men, I should not be the bondservant of Messiah the anointed one. We should serve him. I was so thrilled last Sunday as I had lunch and that couple said, I want, we want to start this ministry. We want to minister to our new families. We want to minister to those who are shut in. We want, to, we want to help. We want to call it helping hands and caring hearts. Or maybe that's backwards, but anyway, they'll get it to you. We need to serve him. It's an honor to serve. Third is this. We need to long for the full establishment and the final establishment of the messianic kingdom. Christ has already begun to rule. He's ruling right now. He's putting down all rule and all authority. Anyone that would turn their back on Jesus is an absolute fool. That's anathema. That's ridiculous. Why would you turn your back on the only hope of the world? He will establish his kingdom. Number four, we need to avail ourselves to his powerful ministry now. You know, I read to you. Did I read to you? I say, I read to you, and, and it said that Jesus healed the sick, and he cast out demons, and you know, he would give people's minds back, and he would, he would disrupt funerals. And, and you know, I realize that we live, in, but we live between the worlds, in a sense. We live between the ages. Maybe that's better. We're living between the ages. Do you realize we have one foot in the other age? Hebrews says we've already, we're tasting of the powers of the world to come, but I read to you about your Messiah. 
I read to you that he healed the sick and he raises the dead and he speaks comfort and he turns circumstances around and he even paid taxes one time with, with the fish and the coin in the mouth. And then many pastors get up and they, and they give a history lesson. I've been giving a history lesson this morning, but I want you to tell you this, that though I'm giving you a history lesson, I'm telling you about a Jesus who's alive right now. He can touch us right now. He can heal us right now. He can turn circumstances right now. He still walks on water now. I may not be in the full establishment of his kingdom, but I have his name. And whatever you ask in his name, he will do it. Hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty Savior we serve. Avail yourself to his ministry now. Call upon his name and watch his grace come to you. And then lastly, we need to trust his promises. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If now that I'm saying this to you and I'm pointing this out, every page you read, you're going to see Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Who we preached among you. By us, by, uh, by us, by me, Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him, who's the in him? Christ, Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, are yes and in him are the amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us and you in Christ, in Christ and has anointed us is God. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand this morning. Let's worship him. Could we just worship him this morning? Come on, would you just lift your hands and worship our Christ today? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We worship you. We honor you. We glorify your mighty name. We honor the name of Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love and compassion. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Come on, just worship him. Give him praise. Give him glory. Give him honor today. What a great and awesome God you are. You are the God that still does the miracles. Thank you. We call upon Jesus. Just breathe the name of Jesus. Worship and use the name of Jesus. Demons have to flee. Depression has to flee. Discouragement has to flee in that mighty name. Can we sing? Can we sing just a little bit?